Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Blackwood Show. The Black, the Black, the Black, Black. Welcome to the Blackwood Show. I'm Taylor Blackwood, and this is my show. Appreciate you guys tuning in, and we are blowing up lately. We're over 600 downloads. I'm aiming for a thousand in the first month, so I got two more weeks on that. So thank you guys for the support. I love it. Appreciate you guys who are reaching out through the email too, the Blackwood Show at gmail.com. I'm getting a lot of great feedback and a lot of great support. So thank you. Today we're going to do a leadership episode. We're going to talk about sharing best practices. This is such a great topic and such a key thing to your success. So I'm really excited to jump into it with you guys and to give you my thoughts. So without further ado, let's get into it. Best practices are just what they sound like. You look in your company to figure out what are the best modes of force. You know, what are the people who are doing the best work? What are the best processes for your company to expand? Who has the best sales process? Who has the best process of inventory management? Who has the best management and incentive processes out in the field? Who has the best customer relationships and how do they develop them? You can get into minute details. You can also get into broad details in these, but finding and sharing those best practices is a really key aspect of scaling a business. This is especially true in service businesses like mine. For those of you who this is the first time tuning into the podcast, I own uh, 44 health clinics across the United States. We specialize in testosterone replacement therapy for men. The business is called Ageless Men's Health. And actually yesterday we celebrated our 13th anniversary. So my, uh, my baby's a teenager. My company's officially 13 years old. But getting back to it, in service businesses, it's really great to uh, share and scale best practices because when you have, say, 44 locations like we do, one of those people might be doing something really, really smart that you never dreamt up. If you could take that one smart thing that, say, grew sales 5%, Instead of just letting that one uh, business do better because of that, if you can take that best practice and get everyone on board with it, you know, get everyone increasing their sales at 5%, you really get transformation in your business. So scale and listening to your customers and sharing best practices is a really neat way to uh, grow your business and to accomplish things that you might not have thought were possible. So best practices are really important that they do cover a wide range of topics. We'll touch on some of those and I'll give some anecdotes throughout this episode. Um, But it's a really important thing to notice in your business, to keep top of mind as you start to scale and to shine a light on so that everyone else can mimic best behaviors and mimic best practices. And you can get scalability, you know, taking one small good idea that's being implemented in one corner of your business and bring it to the whole thing, which has an exponential impact on your growth. So you start out by identifying standout performance. Where I learned this was early in my career. I actually worked at Starbucks back in the day. I was a broista. I could uh, whip up a mean, mean iced caramel latte. <laughs> I, uh, I loved it though. It was a great company to work for. Um, they really are, have an insanely strong uh, identity around their culture. It's something they really foster from the get-go with videos and training. And they really uh, go beyond just giving lip service to treating their uh, employees well. Not necessarily the highest paying job, but it is fast food, right? So it's not terrible as fast food jobs go. But what they do a great job in is developing the pe- their people. They do a really good job of identifying uh, ways that they can help you. You know, one great example of this is through ASU, they partnered and they offer college support. I think they actually pay tuition directly for full-time employees. It's a crazy program if you want to Google it. But I worked at Starbucks and one of the biggest things I learned from them is that they have an insanely great system for identifying standout performance. So they have this back-end dashboard that my uh, store manager showed me one time and they have just 
I think too many metrics, but hundreds of metrics of what's going on in their stores. So of course, you know, things like revenue and labor costs that you'd expect labor hours, all of it's budgeted and they have actual against expected and show you whether you're beating or, or underperforming in all these different metrics. But then they would also have some rotating on, you know, best performances in different clinics and they'd identify winners. I really took that to heart. It was a brilliant thing because watching my general manager go through that dashboard, you know, she would check her high level things she needed to check. So how were sales? Uh, how did she manage her labor against those sales? Did she meet her budgets? Uh, did she do a good job of inventory management? How much spoilage did she have? You know, which means how much of her product did she let go bad that she couldn't actually sell? For those of you who don't know what spoilage is and inventory control, but nonetheless, she would look at all those key metrics, but then from time to time, they'd shine a light on a best performer. So when I was there, they rolled out uh, Via Instant Coffee, terrible product. <laughs> I did a great job of selling it, but it was a terrible product, man, for what it was. I mean, in my opinion, I like real coffee. As instant coffee goes, this is good coffee, good instant coffee, but it's basically a powdered coffee grounds that you put into boiling water and stir, and you have a cup of coffee in 30 seconds at your home. Um, I did not love the quality of it, but again, that's because I make drip coffee. Nonetheless, this is a new product they were really excited about that they rolled out called Via at the time, and they were really pushing it in the stores. And they found one store that was selling like 80% more than anyone else. And they went and studied what those people were doing. And they shared those sales processes with all their, all of their, uh, I almost said clinics, but they shared it with all their stores. And all of a sudden they saw uh, sales growth in all these stores from implementing this, you know, this wording and this way of phrasing it with customers. I think what they found was where they positioned it relative to the point of sale was more key than they thought before and got something like 7% sales growth or something nuts like that. So they identified it that, that standout performance and put it out everywhere. That begins with having the right gauges. So you want to make sure that you're measuring the correct things. You know, I mentioned that, uh, you know, they would watch things like sales growth, labor control and things like this, but then having the right gauges for what things you can episodically affect as well is really, really key for sharing best practices in your, uh, in your business. You need to watch those gauges regularly to be able to use them. So you can't just have the gauges and not necessarily check in on them regularly, not necessarily promote them. What you need to do is to watch them regularly. At Starbucks, that was actually once a week, they would do conference calls on these topics. So we'd have to cover for our manager while she was in the back doing her, doing her reports and then doing the calls themselves. But that regular beat made sure that everyone in the field had structure around it and was looking at these gauges so that you can start to see where your standout performers are and therefore share it with everyone more effectively. So have the right gauges and then watch them regularly. Those are the first two points of this uh, in identifying your standout performance. You know, if you don't have the right gauges, you won't catch the person who's doing something exceptionally well. And if you don't watch it regularly, you'll just miss it. And so will your people in the field. So have the right gauges, watch them regularly. Let the data tell you the real story. I am very data-driven in business. Numbers never lie. They don't have any emotion tied to them. If you have good statistics and you measure them accurately, you get a perfect picture of what's going on in your business. So let data inform you. The best part is that your employees and your leaders in the field can't get emotional about data either. You know, if they have a pet project that just isn't working and the data promotes that this just is not growing sales or this just is not managing costs correctly, you show them that data. That's not you spending capital with them. And spending capital, your employees is something we talked about in a previous episode. So instead of having to spend capital, instead of having to spend goodwill, shooting down that idea, you just show them the data and people believe the numbers if you're accurate and right about them. So you have to be accurate and right as a side note, you know, don't bring bad data. If you bring up data and it's wrong or people can question it or something like this, you lose a lot of credibility. But if you have the right data, being data driven, it tells you the real story. So let the data tell you the real story when it comes to identifying your standout performances. 
In order to do this, you need to get in the details and you probably should get in the field. I'm a big believer in that. I learn so much every time that I go on clinic reviews. I try to visit every single one of my 44 clinics twice a year. That's my goal, especially pre-COVID when travel was more regular and more accepted. I would really try to hit that, but visit every single one of my locations twice a year. You know, press palms, uh, talk to everyone, meet your people in the field, share the vintage, the vision and get everyone excited. That can spread a lot of exponential growth, but getting in the field is very valuable for you as a leader as well. It grounds you and make sure that you're in the details of what's going on in your practices. You should be in there very humble. You should be in there asking questions. You should be in there learning. You should be in there observing. You should be in there watching. And you should learn from your people in the field. So get in the details and get in the field. You know, if you talk to your customers, they're going to tell you a lot about what you need to know. Ask them open-ended questions. Uh, talk to employees and ask them open-ended questions. Let them guide the conversation to what's important. Sometimes it won't, it'll be a little meandering and you need to give it some structure, but it's really good to be a sponge in those situations because that's when you learn things you might not have learned about your business before. For us, I found out that it was a real pain point for us that we weren't taking this one uh, payer, an insurance company in this one uh, uh, area of the United States is in California. And because it was such a pain point for us and we were losing so many leads just from talking to, to, my, to one of my leaders in the field, talking to a clinic director in our case, I was able to go back and work with, on that insurance issue and solve it for them. And we're seeing much better results because of that. So it's really, really key to get in the field and listen to your people. It'll change your strategy. It'll change what you focus on. And you'll learn a lot about uh, what, what a best practice is, how to get customer loyalty. A great example of that in my business, it, it really what shifted our culture. It shifted our focuses a business, you know, that instead of quote unquote, being just a testosterone replacement company that just gives testosterone shots, we've really shifted to being the access point for preventative medicine for our guys. And that's a really important shift for us. And the reason that came about is we had uh, our first employee ever, who's just a stud. She is so good at what she does. She was employee number one, still runs a clinic for us in uh, Germantown, Tennessee. And she is just awesome. And she is the most caring clinician you'll ever meet. And she was just helping out guys with anything that they needed in her practice. And it was just in her heart to do this. And we saw that and we codified it into what we call concierge medicine. So basically for all of our guys, if you come to us for testosterone replacement therapy, you get all of your general medicine needs met now too. That's a huge value add for people. If they get sick, we have Z-Pack sitting on the shelf that we hand them instead of charging them or instead of sending them to a doctor and then to a pharmacy. We just started taking care of them wholeheartedly. And that's a huge part of our strategy now. The way we found out about that was someone in the field was just doing it. And it was a great idea. And all we did was notice it and codify it, spread it throughout the whole company, wildly popular among our clinicians, helping out people, huge value add for our customers. And they love it, us for it. We got huge customer loyalty, retention and referrals because of it. And it's all because someone in the field was just doing something brilliant and we just happened to notice and spread it. So that's the essence of sharing best practices. Look at your gauges, see who's doing the best and share that data, but also get in the field and talk to your people. See what they're doing that you don't have in your dashboard right now. See what good ideas you aren't even aware are going on in your company out there because people are very innovative. You should never underestimate that. You should get in the field and talk to your people and talk to your customers. See what's important to them. See, see what they like about what your people are doing. See what they don't like for that matter as well. But talk to your customers, whether that's through surveys or even better, being able to talk to them in person if your business affords that luxury. Get out there and do it. That's how you identify standout performance. And that's step one in sharing best practices. Step two is shining a light on those best performances. So it's not just enough to identify them. You need to really shine a light uh, with your people. Make sure they understand what the best performances are. Make sure they understand how you codify it. Make sure they understand how they can implement it into their business segment, into whatever they're responsible for. Make sure that it's scalable. 
is a huge part of this. It, you start out by identifying the standout performance, but the next piece is shining a light on that performance. So how do you how do you do that? You share the standout with the company. As I mentioned before, you have to use data for this. So for us, let's talk for a moment about like uh, evals. So we do a new eval on every patient, every prospective patient who thinks they might be low on testosterone. We have them in the clinic. We evaluate their symptoms. We go over the therapy with them on a high level. And it ends with a blood draw where we send it off to a third party lab test. In our case, we use LabCorp. We test their blood for a variety of things, not the least of which is testosterone, to see if their symptoms are corroborated by their test results, to see if they are clinically low on testosterone. Uh, and then we, we share those results with them. If they qualify for therapy, that's when they could get their first injection. So it's not like someone just goes, oh, I want testosterone. They can get it. For those of you who are unfamiliar with medicine, no, no, no. It's very tight. You know, We never treat someone who's uh, clinically uh, in a good place on testosterone, let's say. If they have an adequate amount of testosterone naturally, we don't treat them. So step one for us is an evaluation. And again, in that eval, that's our chance to make our first impression with them, to tell them about our therapies, to tell them about our mission, to tell them about our practice, to quote unquote, make the sale, if you will. But in our case, in medicine, it's more about educating your patients about potential treatment plans and what might be right for them. But then making sure it's personalized, you know, actually testing them and seeing if they do, in fact, qualify. And if we've done our job during that evaluation, then in the event that they do qualify, they trust us for the therapy and they become a patient, they become a customer. So for us, evaluations is a big deal. You know, it's, it's a new patient coming and seeing if they like us, seeing if, if we're the right solution for their problem and finding out if they have a problem or not. So we measure everything about evals. We measure uh, how many evals you do on a weekly basis. We measure uh, where they came from. You know, was it advertising? Was it uh, word of mouth referral XYZ? We measure, uh, did they qualify? You know, did those lab tests come back that they were clinically low on testosterone and that they need therapy? And of those people who qualified, how many of them started? How many of them made the decision to join in the census? One thing we noticed is that one clinician had like a 99% close rate, you know, that of the people who qualified for therapy, 99% of them began with, with this clinician. So we went and studied what were, what they do in the eval? What were the techniques? What did they do to, uh, uh, impress the patient so much? What were they saying? And we codified all those things and shared it as a best practice in the whole company. Well, lo and behold, once we did that, once we measured that, once we measured the ratio of patients who qualify to patients who start the therapy and then arm them with how you can improve that rate, our rate went through the roof. You know, we went from like 85% up into the nineties. So that's a really great example of shining a light on the best on the best practice. Use data and get a little creative about the data. In that case, we we compared uh, qualifications to starts in our business, right? So we got like a derivative of data. We analyzed the data and found a best practice, and then we shined a light on that. You know, we used that data and then we showed everyone in the business, hey, look. Here's someone who's a standout. Here's someone who's performing, you know, much better than our company average. Here's what he did. You can do it too. You can implement this into your practice and you can grow your sales doing this. You know, you can do a better job of talking and educating these patients. You can hit on these points the way he did. You can uh, ask questions in this way. You can make sure you cover all of uh, the things they want to know and make sure you're really listening to them and engaging them. These are all things that this, this clinician who was doing the best practice was doing in his business. And we were able to share that successfully with everyone and change our sales outlook. So use the data and get into the details about what, what the people are doing and share all that with your people. You know, we shared all that on weekly conference calls. Uh, we shared all that through our regional directors and kind of implementing these things. And we made sure that we continued to hit it home with people. We shined a light on that best practice, armed them with how they could change it, and then measured that progress over time. We showed who was improving uh, that metric. We showed 
uh, all the people, and we showed the way the company average was increasing. We showed all the people who were making progress on it and, and really praised them publicly. And that was a big part of it. So you identify standout performance, then you shine a light on it. And to shine a light on it, you use data. You should inspire and you should be enthusiastic about this. When you're trying to change a metric, you should be out in the field tr uh, trumpeting it. You know, you should be talking with them about how this can change their career. You can talk with them about how this can uh, help them make their numbers, how this can make their lives easier. That is such a big thing is here's a best practice for inventory control that cuts down your inventory counts by 30 minutes every week save 30 minutes every week, share that with everyone, you know, make their lives easier, help them make their numbers, share these best practices so that all your people in the field become better so that your company becomes better. It's a big thing. This is something that I like episodic bonuses for, you know, that if it's a sales process or something like this, you know, if they hit a certain percentage, then they might get a bonus make it meaningful. And it can be episodic. Like I said, you don't have to do those bonuses forever. You can say for this quarter, if your metric improves by X percentage points, and gets to the company average, then here's the bonus you'll get. That's a really powerful tool for this in aligning uh, your people's best interests with yours. But it's also a great way to make sure they stay focused on this new topic, focused on this new best practice. You know, that's what they did in that example I gave earlier from Starbucks with Via is they really started to bonus the store directors, store directors, the store managers on the sales of Via and then making progress with that. That's a really key piece of this. Really consider bonuses for people, but if not, you need to inspire and be enthusiastic about how this can help them make their numbers, how this can make their lives easier, how this can improve the fortune of the business. That's really key, key in uh, getting buy-in and getting these new things implemented in the field. So again, sharing practices, start by identifying the standout performance and then shine a light on them. Then you need ongoing management of this. This is the third and final point of the podcast is how do you make sure that these good practices go from something they do episodically to something that's a habit for your people, something that they do on an ongoing basis, something that's an ongoing metric that you can depend on, something that takes your good efforts in this and make sure that they continue for years and years to come. So ongoing management becomes the third point and one of the most important pieces of this. You know, you started by identifying what a best practice was. You shined a light on it. You used data to get everyone excited about it and you inspired about it. And then finally, you're going to do your ongoing management. And in this, you need to be a broken record. I'm going to talk for, for a second about habit. I did a little bit of research about habit in preparation for this podcast and learned a lot of interesting things. I had long heard this theory that it takes 21 days to form a habit. Uh, interesting side note about that, the, that came because a plastic surgeon really trumpeted it. So apparently it would take 21 days after he performed a surgery that was transformative on someone's face, you know, like really radical changes to their face, facelifts, things like this. It would take the, the patient 21 days to truly recognize themselves in the mirror, you know, especially people who were like in a, an accident or something like this. They became used to their, their new look after 21 days. So he, uh, he or she, I'm not sure who it was, but this plastic surgeon really extrapolated that and said that 21 days is how long it takes for habit. Because of course, after a surgery, that's a, a huge moment in someone's life. They have this new look that they're obviously very invested in checking out. If it took them 21 days to recognize it, that's how long it takes to form a habit was kind of the hypothesis. Well, since then, uh, habits have been studied much more extensively. Lots of people use data around New Year's resolutions and uh, countless scientific studies about what it takes to form a habit, and how long it takes. And what they found is pretty predictable. It's widely variable. Some people establish new habits very quickly and some people take a long time. But on average, it takes 66 days for new behavior to become a habit. 66 days, ladies and gentlemen, just over two months. 
So as a leader, you need to keep that top of mind. If you want to change uh, habits of your people in the field, if you want permanent change around these issues, then you need to be a broken record about it. You know, you need to start by identifying the standout performance, move on to shining a light on it. And then the ongoing management piece, you have to be a broken record. You have to keep measuring it at least for those two plus months. So I think two months is kind of a good round um, uh, rule of thumb for you to implement. And you need to be talking about these best practices at least for two months consistently to expect any change in the field. So in my research, I found on average, it takes 66 days for new behavior to become a habit, but it takes as little as 18 days and as much as 250 days. So a huge variance amongst people. So as a manager, I'd say celebrate your 18 day people. Those are your studs. Those are the ones who are trying to change. Those are the ones who are engaged with the business and keep these things top of mind, who manage it themselves. You know, my, my hypothesis about this is that the difference between the 18 day people and the 250 day people is that the 18 day people really care. They probably are a little more gifted as well, but they really care. They're engaged in changing this behavior and therefore they're engaged in improving your business. So my advice is a little bit harsh, but celebrate the 18 day people and fire the 250 day people. <laughs> you really want that strong uh, engagement in your business. And you know that, that sounds crass, but there really is some truth to it that you're always gonna have underperformers in the business. And in this case, you're always gonna have people who aren't engaged with the business. And if you notice that people just aren't picking up on your best practices in some reasonable amount of time, say three, four, five, maybe six months, they're just not engaged in helping you in your business. That's what it is. It's not that they're slow to develop habits or something like this. At that point, there's so much variance between the 18 day people and the 250 day people. It has to be engagement. It has to be how much they care. So celebrate your 18 day people and really look at your 250 day people. If they're underperforming in other places as well, that's probably a place for you to improve your culture and to improve the quality of the people you have in the field. Those are people who probably aren't engaged in helping your business and growing it and in changing it. So a little bit of interesting pieces about the habit. I did some research on this. Uh, there's a nuclei embedded in the midbrain called, I'm going to just butcher the pronunciation of this, I'm sure, but the basal ganglia. Uh, this is the part of the brain that deals with adopting new goal-driven actions and integrating them into our consistent behaviors. So it deals with memory, pattern recognition, and motor control. Uh, it's, it's the part of your brain where the habit is formed. It's deeply connected to other parts of the brain. That's why the habits can become second nature, apparently. Uh, but basically what happens in this process, you know, scientists think neuroscience is very nonspecific and they're learning a lot every day. But scientists think that uh, when your basal ganglia takes over the prefrontal cortex, which is where you do like your analytics and things like this, that's when you have a new habit. So you need to give your brain and the chemistry of your brain time to develop that new habit and to engage it. So for you nerds like me out there, that's a little bit of the brief science is worth looking into those things. If you're fascinated about habit and there's countless cool studies out there, if you Google how long does it take to form a habit that I was reading about this, you can really take a deep dive. Uh, but that's kind of the takeaway there. That's the part of the brain that you need to engage. That's where the habit is developed and you need to give it enough strokes, if you will. You need to give enough repetitions for it to take over the prefrontal cortex and to become habit take over strong to, to in, incorporate the prefrontal cortex's impulses into habit. You know, you need the basal ganglia to get those, those reps and to get a lot of repetition. So that's the point of, of what I'm driving home is that's why the repetition is necessary. It's, it's literally chemistry that you're working with in your people's brains. So you keep that top of mind. Uh, again, they used to think it was 21 days, but now it's 66 days. So call it two months. Two months is what you're aiming for to change habits for your people in the field. And if you do this, your culture will improve. You know, if you have a culture where you can roll out new and important initiatives, where you can roll out uh, best practices, where you can improve data at will, you're a very powerful person in business at that rate. 
you know, you can really use that, that to capitalize on a lot of great initiatives in your business. You can really be a motive force if you have people's buy-in to improving their key metrics and you do a good job of picking those metrics and following through, building a culture where your people are willing to try new things, building a culture where these best practices come to the surface, where people in the field are identifying them for you. That's really key as well. Uh, you want to celebrate the people who change their behavior publicly. You know, you want to continue to publish real data and show everyone else in the field their their successes. And you want to celebrate that because what you really want is a culture where your people are coming to you saying, hey, Taylor, look at this best practice we found. Look at Jane over in San Antonio is doing such a brilliant job of uh, retaining patients. You know, she keeps people on average twice as long as any other clinic in Texas. What's Jane doing? Well, I went and studied it and she's doing concierge medicine, whatever the thing is. Right. And this is why her patients are so loyal to her, you know. And sometimes it's corny little things. You'd be surprised. Like the, the, one of the things that really helped in evals when we studied it was beginning the eval in your clinic director office and then moving to a treatment room for the actual treatment itself, like the actual drawing of blood. It was just kind of the subconscious thing where having a beautiful office where you sat down and did the consultation rather than doing it all in a sterile clinical room really helped people get comfortable and engage with that clinic director. So sometimes seemingly small and corny things are key to your success. So pay attention, see what your people in the field are doing create a culture where they're identifying it themselves and bring it to you and then reward that, you know, make sure that people in the field who bring you great ideas are rewarded and celebrated because that's the culture that you want in your business and never forget your people are your best asset in this. In business, that is so true. It's the thing I've learned time and time again and over a decade of doing this entrepreneurship thing. It's that your people are your best asset. So celebrate them, treat them well, and listen to what they have to say. <laughs> Trust me, oftentimes they know better than you do about what's going on in the business, and, and they're the people you're going to learn from in this. So in my opinion, sharing best practices is one of the key things to success. You know, uh, to reiterate the, the outline of this, we start out by talking about identifying your standout performance. It's about, that's about having the right gauges, watching them regularly, and letting the data tell you the real story. You know, that's where we talked about getting in the details, talking to your customers, talking to your employees. So start by uh, step one, identifying standout performance. Step two, shining a light on that. You know, share the standout with the company, use data, inspire and be enthusiastic, and make sure you know how this helps your people in the field. You know, whether that's a bonus, whether that's uh, making their lives easier, whatever it is, make sure that they understand how step two, shining a light on this thing is really going to help them. And then step three is ongoing management. That's where we talked about habit development. And that's where we talked about publishing real data and celebrating the people who change this behavior, who embrace this new best practice and help you change your business. Trust me, if you identify best practices as well, as you continue to scale, it makes your life exponentially easier. You're going to see huge jumps in your result and you're going to really get to embrace the ingenuity. Yeah. The ingenuity of your people in the field, because your people are your best resource. And trust me, they have great ideas and there's great practices bubbling in a corner of your company that you aren't even aware of right now. So make it your mission today to go and find out one of those, to embrace that and to make your business a better version of itself. Well, that's our podcast for today. Touched on one of my favorite topics, sharing best practices. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Thanks again for all the support. It's been awesome seeing this grow. I'm convinced we're going to hit my goal of over a thousand downloads in the first month, which I'm really, really proud of. And I can't thank you guys enough. I know there's so many great ways to be entertained, not the least of which is a great podcast. So thanks for listening to little old me. I really appreciate you guys. And uh, thank you for everything you do. I'll be back in touch soon. Thanks for listening.